Here we go. This is Lessons in Leadership. You've been waiting for it all week. Here we are, Sunday morning. You see us right here on News 12 Plus. Um, lessons in Leadership, Mary. We have a very special guest who's a longtime partner who understands leadership and innovation better than most. Go ahead, Mary. Make the introduction. Oh, I'm so excited. So we have Chris Palladino, president, New Brunswick Development Corporation. But more importantly, we're going to be really talking a lot today about our special series, Lessons in Leadership, Discovery and Innovation in New Jersey. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Mary. Great to be back. You got it. And Chris, DEVCO is the acronym for New Jersey Development Corporation, and the Helix uh, is the logo behind Chris Palladino. Chris, put the Helix in context for us. What is it and why does it matter? So the Helix is more than a neighborhood of buildings. It's more than a place. It's more than a district. It's an ecosystem that we hope will foster scientific collaboration, discovery, commercialization. Why is it important? Look, we know where companies, where discoveries are made and where companies expand, they usually do that within 10 miles of where they started. And, you know, they they grow, they hire people, they go public. And this is, you know, could be an important part of the New Jersey economy, basically growing um, uh, in the innovation economy. The second thing that's important, discoveries that are made here are going to impact people's lives. Therapies, medications, medical devices, um, and uh, artificial intelligence. Um, uh, 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 it's 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 incredible the amount of things that it can be, but they're really going to impact um, the the average citizen um, because they're going to be the beneficiary. And the third thing that's probably um, important, very important, is that it's going to somewhat help us stem the brain drain. You know, our kids who graduate colleges with computer science degrees, engineering degrees, yeah. mathematicians, don't have to go to Boston or don't have to go to North Carolina or California to work. They can stay home and we can enjoy our grandchildren. And, and to that point, Mary's got two in college out of state. I've got, we have two in college out of state. And we tried to push New Jersey schools and failed in that regard. And, in, and, and to be clear, one major institution of higher learning that's very involved because the partnerships at the Helix are key. Rutgers University, very involved, correct? Yes. There are, you know, basically in our first building, uh, they're our major partner. They uh, have committed to not only 250,000 square feet of translational research, which is final stage research before commercialization, but moving the Rutgers RWJ Medical School downtown and putting in a completely modern facility to um, be compatible with the New Jersey Innovation Hub. Uh, but Rutgers is not only doing that, but they've committed to over a quarter of a billion dollars to recruit new scientists that will work in this building. And also Princeton is involved as well. Princeton and then our other two very important partners are Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas Health and Hackensack Meridian. You know, Rut people don't really understand this, but Rutgers and Princeton together on an annual basis um, are the beneficiaries of over a billion dollars of third party research. This is money that comes from NIH. It comes from the National Cancer uh, Institute. It comes from the FDA. It comes from foundations. So basically, you know, bringing these two uh, incredible research universities together, um, uh, good things will happen. As Mary jumps in, we're, we're going to be showing uh, video that Chris and his team have provided that shows what's going on there. But the Helix will open officially when, Chris? December of 2025. Got it. Mary. 
Yeah, and we'll put up also a, a QR code. So if you're watching, you could zap it, get the latest and greatest. I love watching all of your posts, Chris, on social media where it just shows, it's amazing. You blink and there's like a new structure going up any day. You talked a little bit about the partnerships. I believe it's connected to the Innovation Hub. How are you helping startups? How are you helping those businesses that are really just up and coming and true entrepreneurs? How are you helping them through the Innovation Hub? So in two major ways. A, we're creating a place for them. So we're creating a place where a startup, it may be um, three postgraduate PhD students who have a great idea, who want to start a company and want to continue the research, and they use our shared laboratories um, or they use office space and conference rooms. It may be somebody at the end of their career who's leaving Johnson & Johnson, who's leaving Bristol-Myers, and they've got a project that didn't get pursued and want to, with some colleagues. It may be the person that called me recently from a major research institution in New York City who said, I've been working in my lab. My partners and I um, are ready to commercialize this. We have to leave the university space to do it. We all live in New Jersey. We'd love to have a place to do this. So creating a place is important. But the other place is creating this ecosystem where startups can, you know, at lunch, having a cup of coffee, a drink afterwards, can meet academic scientists who are working for Princeton or Rutgers or working with physicians from either of the two hospitals, being in the same place, sharing ideas, helping solve problems, saying, hey, can you come to my lab and look in my microscope? I see something interesting. So we're basically creating a, a place where creative collisions can happen. So Chris, let me, let, me, let me get on this because you and I have known each other a long time. And one of the things I think we have in common other than um, being Italian American <laughs> is this. We, we've been at this for a long time, but Mary knows this. And I think Mary does think of this sometimes like, Steve, when is enough enough? When, when, when do we say, hey, we're good the way we are? What's all this with a new idea, new series, new this? Why are we spinning off to innovate? And what I said to Mary, and trust me, there's a question here is, when I stop doing that, that's when I don't want to do this anymore. That's when, I, that, that's when you're done. You're the, I know, I've known you. Chris, you don't stop. Meaning this innovation initiative, Discovery Innovation New Jersey, the Helix, I'm not saying it's you alone, but are you sitting up, there's a question in, in this way, do you sit up at night thinking about all these possibilities? Usually when I'm driving or taking a shower or shaving, um, <laughs> usually I'm pretty good when I go to sleep, I go to sleep. But um, look, cities that do not continue to reinvent themselves suffer. They we're talking about New Brunswick. By the way, Helix is in New Brunswick, to be clear. Right. And, right and look, innovation is the lifeblood of New Jersey, of New Jersey's economy. The Helix hopefully will create an ecosystem that will reignite the entrepreneurial spirit of Edison, Sarnoff, Waxman, Claude Shannon, you know, unlocking that potential, unlocking that excitement for the next generation. So, you know, we kind of always have to rediscover and reinvigorate and reignite, let it be, you know, um, you know, a city or, um, you know, or, or just getting people to, to, to be excited about being in a place. And whether it's a higher ed institution that has to evolve constantly, innovate media organizations, uh, hospital systems that you just talked about, both of whom are 
our underwriters of our programming, RWJ Barnabas Health and HMH, Hackensack Meridian Health. Mary, one more uh, quick question, because we're also going to have Chris do a special introduction to this series, uh, Discovery and Innovation in New Jersey after this. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah, definitely. And as an outsider looking in, it seems like everything has just gone like clockwork with the Helix, right? I see all the posts and I'm like, wow, everything's. And But I know probably <laughs> behind the scenes there have been some challenges. Uh, can you share one of those challenges and more importantly, the lesson that you learned, uh, whether tied to innovation, leadership, whatever, because Logi as I said, how it, about it, logistics, Mary, logistics. and logistics, <laughs> I'm obsessed with logistics. Well, you know, I think, I think on a micro sense, next week, we're going to pour 1400 cubic yards of concrete that has to be in one continuous pour. And it has 150 trucks coming and it has to happen continuously or you have to start over. And what could go wrong, Chris? What <laughs> could go wrong? A Wait a second. Tire, so I, don't, I don't know a lot. Hole. But doesn't temperature matter? Well, isn't that a factor with concrete as well? Or am I making too much matter, of that? So we have to get that the right day. But, you know, <laughs> I look, I think the biggest challenge and certainly the one of the bigger accomplishments are getting our partners, the EDA, Rutgers, Hackensack Economic Development Radio, Authority, Robert, and Tim Sullivan, go ahead. Robert Wood Johnson, Barnabas Health, Princeton, to, to get on the same page, to uh, make concessions, to take some risk um, and see the big picture. And then one day the light goes off and you know you 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 kind of bear down and get the deal done you know we don't you don't want to see how you know sausage is made you don't want to see how laws are made you don't really don't want to see how uh public private partnerships are made uh mayor cahill <laughs> said to me one time when we were doing a ground mayor, mayor cahill the mayor of uh, new brunswick go ahead yes and he said to me as we were walking off the podium um, after at a project that had some real rough going getting to that gate. And he said, don't you just once before you're done want to get up here and say, hey, I'm going to tell you what really happened. Um, <laughs> because everybody's really happy at groundbreakings and at ribbon cuttings. Um, but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. But you know what? We are fortunate in New Jersey. I am certainly fortunate in New Brunswick to have some people who have some real foresight and are, are true leaders and are able to come together and do something in a collaborative nature that could not be done by any one of these institutions by themselves. That's the beauty of partnership. And um, and Chris Palladino, the president of New Brunswick uh, Development Corporation, DevCo, leading the way, being the QB, as I like to say, um, the point guard, the quarterback, the facilitator of the Helix Initiative. Chris, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Discovery and innovation in New Jersey. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Mary. You guys stay with us. We'll be right back. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, the Helix, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, Fedway Associates Inc., Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, Veolia, resourcing the world, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com. 
NJBIA and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Media, a print and digital business news network. Introducing the Helix NJ, the health and life science exchange, a new innovation district located at the heart of the Northeast Corridor, providing industries, universities, and entrepreneurs the critical ecosystem needed to turn great ideas into breakthrough realities. The Helix NJ, where ideas come to life. Lessons in Leadership would like to thank our newest sponsors who make our programming possible, including The Helix, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, and the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Lessons in Leadership welcome Scott Davis, partner at Prager Metis, our longtime partners, as you can see with his logo right over his head, and also Haley Mayer, also a principal at Prager Metis. Now, uh, Scott is a partner in charge of the not-for-profit services, and Haley heads up the firm's client account services, otherwise known as CAS, C-A-S. Haley, did I get that right? Yeah, you did. And by the way, I should also disclose that uh, we have been doing long-time leadership and communication coaching at Prager Medicine. Haley is one of my clients, and she doesn't, after a year or so, you don't hate me yet, do you? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still soon. We'll uh, see what happens in January. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, we're taping this right before that. Haley, do us a favor. Put in context what CAS is, the Client Account Services Operation at Pregramatis. What is it and why is it so significant in the marketplace? So CAS is outsourced accounting. So basically we do outsource controller and bookkeeping services here at Prager, which the good part is, is that by using an accounting firm to do the outsource of it, everything is being reviewed by an accountant. So there's some tax insight. We're doing a full month close on every account, account that we currently have. And instead of just hiring a bookkeeper, you have somebody watching over your bookkeeper. The other thing is we work in teams. So when the bookkeeper doesn't show up, that doesn't happen at Prager because we have a whole team working on your account. This became a huge thing after COVID hit when people couldn't be in the office and it really has taken off since then. Yeah. And the other thing that's so interesting is that, you know, Lessons in Leadership is produced by a for-profit operation, Stand and Deliver Productions. But our not-for-profit operation, the Caucus Educational Corporation, um, we're a not-for-profit, and, and Scott can speak to the challenges of leadership and the, the challenge that not-for-profits are having. But we sub out our accounting services to uh, my longtime friend, Joe Lupo, and uh, again, they do that for us. Mary, we would not have that in-house capability, would we? We would not. And, and as Haley was saying, it just, especially for us in small organizations like we are, and I'll say small, you know, 25 and under team members, it allows us to focus on the things that only we can focus on and then let the experts do that instead of bringing somebody in full time. We don't need a full time accountant in the office 40 no. hours a week. So it's a win win, in my opinion. It absolutely is. And Scott, help us on this because you head up the, the, the not for profit, you're a partner in charge of not for profit services. What are most not-for-profit organizations struggling with, particularly as we do this moving into 2024? Please. Some of the biggest challenges not-for-profits are facing are similar to those of the for-profit side is finding talent, utilizing resources accordingly, and of course, funding. So 
all of those things impact not-for-profit organizations just as much as they do your for-profit side of the house and that you get to see both as well. So that's what we've seen in, in a lot of our clients. Yeah. And and Haley, one of the things you and I have talked about in, in our coaching together is not just getting or hiring people, but how about this, Haley, um, coaching people and retaining the really good ones. Please, Haley, pick it up from there. Yeah, so it's really hard to retain the staff here, especially and especially with um, bookkeepers that are now retiring. It makes it like nearly impossible to hire new people who want to stay. Um, everybody in like is looking for a lot of money, so they're being snatched up by other firms very, very quickly. So if we train mm -hmm. them, it seems the turnover basically most people last like two years at most, and then another firm snatches them away. And Mary and I have been dealing with it. We we just did a lessons and leadership segment with our new executive producer of one on one, Zyphus LeBron. And replacing someone who left the organization, yeah, it stinks. It's not any fun when it happens. But Mary, there's there's potential in hiring a new person that brings new energy, a different perspective on things. But again, you got to train that person, keep that person good, Mary, jump back in. Yeah, no, and I was going to say, if you, we try to see it as an opportunity, right, Scott and Haley, we try to say, yes, this is an opportunity. This is great. Every challenge is an opportunity when you're like, what did I do wrong? Why are they leaving us? And we totally get it. But And you do, you have to be realistic when that happens and then continue to train your staff. And, and Scott, I'd love to go to you on this one in terms of a nonprofit, because what we're talking about, that business that Steve and I oversee, is a nonprofit, right? And sometimes we're you know, it's not as competitive as big corporate world or going into New York City. So what advice do you have for nonprofits out there when it comes to really training and letting their team know, hey, we care about you and we value your contribution? I think a lot of that goes down to the tone at the top of the organization. And when you're hiring people, that flexibility that you can give as a nonprofit, it tends to be less stressful at times. But at times it also is more stressful. So there are maybe other benefits there that you can provide, such as flexible time off, or you know perhaps there's a benefit plan for 3 b or part of that long term. Which we have there, there's there's other things that you can do as a nonprofit. The the problem again goes back to funding, finding the right people, and a lot of times people who work with nonprofits are definitely mission oriented. So if you get an individual who is very engaged with your organization you'll definitely have them stay longer because they're already vested in what you're doing as, as your mission. But as we found out, Mary, as I go back to, uh, to Haley, Haley, you could do all, I, I might've complained to Haley about this in one of our coaching <laughs> sessions. You could do all the right things. You can pay a competitive rate. You can provide flexibility. You can say, not just say family first, but believe in family first. We're fully remote again, which is an advantage to some, disadvantage to others. But we are that, so there's no commuting cost, et cetera. But Haley, sometimes people still do leave. And I'm not, I don't want to keep harping on this, but do you, this is a tricky question, do you ever take it, quote, personally, because I do sometimes, other than, you know, it's just business? I, I think that, yeah, you do take it personally. I think there's no way to not take it personally because you've spent all this time and invested in them and yeah. trained them. <laughs> and now they're going to go use their training somewhere else. And you're like back at square one. So, I think, you know, you have to take it to heart. You know, they become part of your family, especially the way I run CAS here. We are a team. We have a pep call every single morning to cheer the team on as the day goes. And, you know, when that person leaves, you kind of you kind of feel a void. You kind of feel like you miss them because they were part of, you know, this inner family that you're working with. 
So you do take it a little personally. I know that you have to look at the big picture and it isn't personal. It's like what's best for them in their life. But I don't think there's a way you cannot like take it personally too. You know, and and the book Lessons in Leadership 2.0, The Tough Stuff, which we've been working with the team at Prager Medicine. We're doing actually as we do this, Mary, we have a seminar coming up. It'll be seen after that. We have an emerging leader seminar in Atlantic City with Lori Roth and, and the team down there. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because in the book, we talk about the fact that it does feel personal at times. And even though we know, as Haley just said so effectively, it's what's best for them. Yes, that's right. But Mary, we'll talk about this when we don't have any guests anymore. But it's almost impossible to say it's just business. It's impossible. Nothing is just business, whether you get a paycheck, whether you're a volunteer and just in life in general, everything is personal. Why? Because we're people. If if we didn't have feelings and emotions, we would just be robots or artificial intelligence, which is another sub- subject for another uh, tape day. But you're absolutely right, Steve. It's impossible not to take it personally. It is a time to look inside yourself and say, hey, what could I have done differently? And we've had those exit interviews with people and some people closer than others where I literally said, like, what did I do wrong? What, you know, why did you not choose to stay here with me? Because I felt like it was me. And in many situations, it's not. And you just need to accept that and then look toward the future. Mary's got that right. She's uh, mentally healthier than I am. I'll just say that. (laughs) But but Scott, real last question on this end. Scott, because you work with not-for-profits, one of the things, that, and I come from a not-for-profit background. My dad headed up uh, one of the most successful not-for-profits in the country. My sister, Michelle, heads it, heads it up now, the, the Northwood Center in Newark, a community service organization, and the Robert Treat Academy is a charter school. So that there's a lot of history there. But there's a point in the, to this question. My sense is too many not-for-profit organizations, there are too many that don't take leadership development, succession planning, Developing your people seriously enough, is that a gross generalization from your point of view, Scott, or do you see that? You do see that. And I think that is also reflective in both industries, not-for-profit and for-profit. So not-for-profits struggle from the same things. I have clients who have struggled with leadership development, leadership retention, and succession planning. I've had others who are spot-on related to that. They know, here's where we're going. Here's where we want to be. Here's who we have in mind. And they're communicating that to their staff. I think that helps with some of that retention when people can see growth, see that movement forward in their career and their path, and they will get there. So that's definitely something that not-for-profits should also focus on and keep in mind, especially when you have a small one where the founder is really running the organization. But what happens when that individual has grown out of that role and needs more people? So they have to do succession planning immediately. So. Well, along those lines, let me just say this, that Prager Mattis, one of the great things about the relationship is they only have us coach people who are uh, really great leaders. And that's why it's an honor to be working with Haley and, and so many of our other colleagues who are partners and also about to be partners, right, Haley? The emerging leaders, mm-hmm. the emerging, these are going to be partners of the future. So at Prager Mattis, they get it. What they do is they identify people who are really, really good and could be even better. And that's, to me, what coaching should be about. So to Haley and, and Scott, I want to thank you so much. And also thank our partners at Prager Metis who allow uh, us to do lessons in leadership. And we're honored to work with the team there. And we learn every day as well. So to Scott and Haley, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You got it. Lessons in leadership. Be right back after this. I'll get that out. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. 
Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Media, a print and digital business news network. Lessons in Leadership would like to thank our newest sponsors who make our programming possible, including The Helix, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, and the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Adubato with the, the extraordinary Mary Gamba. It's, you know, it's coming to the end of the year that we're taping this, and this is where you usually hit me up for a big bonus and a raise and all kinds of other things. So I figured I could butter you up with saying nice things. Will that get it done or That no? will not get it done. Show me the money. That That used to get it done, and now I'm realizing I have to pay for two kids to go through college, so... Yeah, so I'll butter what are you, you up. Cuba Gooding talking to Tom Cruise. <laughs> Tell me the money. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what you've been doing for years. Hey, Mary, I said we were going to talk about. There's a there was an article I read about the term work spouse needs to be put to rest. Do you agree with that? Because I have another thing I want to do after that. I actually what, disagree Trump? with that. I, I think we're. I, I am so you? over being PC. I am so over what you can't say that you need to pause before you say something. I mean, you know, I've always been that way. Um, what you see is what you get. And in certain situations, it is. So you and I are work spouses. And I say that because we genuinely care about each other. We genuinely care about the wellness of one another. But we're literally... And our families. The, yeah, but we also finish, finish each other's sentences. We know what we're thinking. We know if one of us is having a bad day, how to lift the other one up. Uh, we joke about, you know, yeah, you've changed your ties and et cetera, you know, things like that. And, you know, but we can have those open... Do we get over stuff quickly? we get over things extremely quickly, like boom, like it's over, you know, we say horrible things to each other and when we're angry, which has not happened often, I, I love that. But when we do, it's like, you know, I'm mad at you, I'm mad at you too. And then an hour later, like it's like heart emoji, just kidding, you know? I do remember I called you a couple months ago, maybe it wasn't a couple months ago, and it just, it was bothering me all weekend. And I was telling my actual spouse, Jennifer, Mm -hmm. I said, I think something's bothering Mary. She said, why do you think that? I said, I don't know. It's just a feeling. Oh, my gosh. So remember, when you called me. <laughs> I called her and I said, um, what's going on? What? What's going on with you? Nothing. Why? And there uh, genuinely was nothing because I will always tell you. I, I don't. I, I've got nothing to lose now to tell you if something's bothering me. Well, here's the thing. I will often ask my wife the same thing. I, I can't Meaning, talk on behalf of your wife. <laughs> no, no. Listen. And she, how could she not be happy? Let's be serious about that. But, okay. Scar Scarlett behind the camera just fell off the chair. So no, in all seriousness, it, it's, it plays on my mind. And the work spouse thing, I, whether people like the term or not, isn't relevant. It matters to me. It sounds like such a cliche that Mary's happy. And if mm -hmm. she's not, I want to poke around and find out if she's not, what it is, what I can do. And if it's in her world, which is so narcissistic, like it must be something I could do to mm -hmm. fix it. But I'm obsessed about that, which yeah. I don't, part of me thinks it's a good leadership quality. Part of me thinks it's not. I think it is. I, I think it is. You can't let it influence, you know, say if there was something that, you know, that is the challenging thing, because there have been times that I've said to you, Steve, Steve, you really didn't handle that well. And then you do take it personally. And I understand that. And then things are a little bit different for a little while because you do want to be accepted. You're a human being. You do want to be, yeah, high five, you Praise. know, on a scale of. Huh? I think I said to Mary a couple of weeks ago, Mary, you haven't said anything really nice to me for in a while. You and haven't like, said really oh good job. 
Yeah, yeah it's true. I don't I did. need it. I don't need it. And again, talking about gender roles, I think that's where you know, <laughs> I won't even say it. <laughs> Can I Hold say on, it on don't TV? Don't say it. All right, don't I won't say, say it. it. <laughs> I know what I know what you're thinking right now, and it's not appropriate for television. I won't say it now, but so, everybody knows what I was going to say. No, so, but in all seriousness, and but if you do need something, even though you are the president and CEO of this organization, you need to speak up as well as the leader and say, "You want to know what? I need more of this," and that's okay. Uh, but then the challenge is, after you said you needed it, when I did give you accolades, you didn't believe it because you thought I was yeah. saying it because you told me to say it. A hundred percent. I said, Mary, I wish I hadn't told you. I really wanted you. I know Elvin's saying, say goodbye. Uh, Elvin doesn't say anything nice either to me, but no, I'm joking. But when, as soon as I said it to Mary, I said, why did I say that? Because now every time she says something that you did was great, I'm not going to believe her. And that's exactly what's happened. So I'm going to see my therapist tomorrow. This has been Lessons in Leadership. Mary Gamba, Steve Adubato, Elvin Badger behind the scenes with a great team making things happen. See you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, the Helix, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, Fedway Associates Inc., Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, Veolia, resourcing the world, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Media, a print and digital business news network.